our Lord and our God, King of the universe. Lord, we praise your name, and Lord, we thank you for the Sabbath, and we thank you for your word, and we're thankful, Lord, for the word of the prophets that you've given to us to guide in the past and to guide us in the present as well. Illuminate our minds from your word, in Yeshua's name, amen. Studying the book of Amos, part two, we're looking at chapters four and five tonight. Chapter 4 begins, verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. That's not great size. <laughs> People calling them cows. Who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine and let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, behold, the day shall come upon you when you will be well, he will take you away with fish hooks. Pretty heavy, and that is what happened. Uh, the Syrians came in and dragged their king away with a fish hook through his nose. And uh, come to Bethel and transgress, and Gilgal multiply transgressions. It's interesting it mentions Bethel and Gilgal. That's two of the three cities that are mentioned that uh, Elijah and Elijah had the school of the prophets at. And so they must have had their schools right in the head. Uh, the, the hotbed of, of sin and, and adultery and adulterous worship. Uh, because here now, Amos, a little after these, those two prophets, says, come to Bethel and transgress, and transgress and Gilgal and multiply your transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce the freewill offerings. For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. Now, obviously, these offerings and these tithes and these thanksgiving offerings and sacrifices are not to the Lord God of heaven and earth, not bringing them down to Jerusalem, to the temple there, but to their pagan gods and the gods that they were worshiping up in the north, up in Israel. At Gilgal and Bethel. Verse 6, I gave you lack of bread in all your places, yet you haven't returned to me, says the Lord. I withheld rain from you, yet you haven't returned to me, says the Lord. The locusts devoured your gardens and your vineyards and figs and olive trees, yet you haven't returned to me. And so calamity upon calamity upon calamity, and he's saying you haven't returned to me. And so God sends blessings, and if we worship him and accept him and thank him for that, great. And if that doesn't work, he'll try calamities. And hopefully that'll work. He'll try everything and anything to get our attention draws to him because that's God's end goal and not for his sake but for our sake because that's what's best for us for us to be drawn to him to be in fellowship with him verse 10 I sent a plague among you after the manner of Egypt your young men I killed with a sword along with your captive horses I made the stench of your camps come up into your nostrils yet you have not returned to me says the Lord. It's interesting he mentions Egypt here. I said the plague among you after the manner of Egypt. Egypt, he took us out of the land of Egypt and the plagues upon Egypt close to a thousand years before this. And so it's still a reference point even close to a thousand years later God is still referencing that as as his birthing period of time, his, his deliverance in our, in our lives and that we should remember that and that's why we even now thousands of years later, during the Passover, we remember God's deliverance 
in our lives. Verse 11, I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. So calamities and plagues and being overthrown as Sodom and Gomorrah. And again, it's interesting that he mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. In that event, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was close to 1,500 years or so before this, before Amos. And God is referencing that, which obviously indicates that both God and Amos believe that it was a real event. Uh, there's a tendency nowadays for people to look at the book of Genesis and the things that took place there and say, oh, those were just interesting stories and analogies that God's trying to teach us. Uh, but if we, if we say, well, that was just a, you know, a, not a real event, but just a story, well, then we also have to say that Amos didn't know what he was talking about. And since Amos is saying he's claiming according God, then God didn't know what he was talking about. And so we have to go through the Bible, and Yeshua also talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we have to go through the Bible and basically start ripping out pages. If we're going to say that, well, that was just a story, well, then why do all these other people talk about it as real events? And that goes back to creation and everything else. Uh, the whole book of Genesis, and really the whole Bible. It's supporting itself. It's really either we accept it as a package, we accept it as God's word, we accept it as truth, except obviously those things that are obviously written as parables and, and, uh, and prophetic uh, writings or, or, or stories. Uh, things that are written literally, we need to take literally. Verse 12, therefore thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. So heavy, he says, I, 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 these calamities took place, and, and these plagues, and like a plague like Egypt, and, and all these various things, and if you think that was heavy, prepare to meet your God, right? It's kind of like, uh, you know, father yelling to the kids and, and, and trying to, supposed to be going to sleep in the bed, don't make me come down there, right? Don't make me break that up. God said, prepare to meet me face to face. I've been trying to get your attention with blessings. I've been trying to get your attention with allowing things to happen and hardships to happen in your life. And if that's not working, prepare to meet me. Verse 13, still in chapter 4, for behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind, who declares to man what his thought is and makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. The Lord God of hosts. The one who created all things. Again, so here Amos and God referring to, the, to God as the creator. The maker of all things. And he's in charge of it all. This is the God prepared to meet him. Prepared to meet the one who said it and it was. Who is over it all. Prepare to meet him. Hear a lamentation, now chapter 5, verse 1. Hear a lamentation against the new house of Israel. The virgin of Israel has fallen, and she will not rise. She lies forsaken on her land. There is no one to raise her up, says the Lord God. The city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left. That which goes out by a hundred shall have ten left. So 90% of the cities will be decimated. 
Imagine that, 90%. Thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Do not seek at Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, again where the false worship is, nor even go over to Beersheba down in the south in, 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 in Judah, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph and devour it. He made the Pleiades and Orion, again, he claiming to be creator and ruler of all things. He turns the shadow of death into morning and makes the day dark as night. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. yud heh vav -Heh. He reigns upon the strong so that fury comes upon the fortress. The Lord God. yud heh vav -Heh Elohim. Verse 10. They hate the one who rebukes in the gate. They abhor the one who speaks uprightly. So God sends, in his great love, he sends the Amos, he sends the prophets, he sends Hosea, he has sent the prophets before. God in his great love sends blessings, God in his great love sends calamities, or allows calamities to draw us to him. He sends the prophets to entreat us. But if we hate the one who's rebuking us, we abhor the one who's speaking correctly, who's speaking uprightly, who's speaking righteousness. Then how can God help us? Should we told the parable of the, of the keepers of the vineyard and the owner sends his servants to go and collect and they beat one and he sends another and they beat him and he sends another and they beat him and he says, I don't know what else to do. I'll send my son. Certainly they'll respect my son. And, he, and the son goes, and the, and the managers say, the son has come. Let us take him, let us beat him, and let us kill him. So there's no one else to inherit. So certainly then we will inherit. And they do that. They beat him and they kill his son. She says, what would be done to such ones as that? That is what this world, that is what we have done to God as he entreated and sent the prophets and sent his mercy and sent his grace and sent his goodness to us in history's past and in our lives today. And then sent his very son to come to us, to demonstrate God's love for us, to demonstrate us the living uprightly, demonstrate the way to live, the way to peace, the way to joy, the way to happiness. The way to heaven. The way to prosperity in God's eyes and, 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 and prosperous and happiness and peace in our hearts. In this life and in the life to come. And we've taken him. And at various times in our lives we've hated him, we've abhorred him, we've rejected him, we've rejected God's word, we've rejected his mercy, we've rejected his love. And we've cast him out. Think we'll just do away with him and we'll inherit everything. 
And that's what the world is doing today. <clears throat> Casting God out. Blotting him out. Every turn, every reference attempts to blot him out. Denying him. Denying the possibility of a creator. Denying the possibility that we didn't just come from nothing. We didn't just bang here somehow. But that a divine, intelligent creator made us and made us and molded us. Trying to blot him out. Thinking they'll inherit the earth then. They'll be in, we'll be in charge of our own lives. We charge of our own destiny. As we've seen in history path, past, that path always leads to destruction. And this earth right now is on the vast, fast track towards destruction. Verse 11, you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him. Though you have built houses of hewn stone, you shall not dwell in them. You planted pleasant vineyards. You shall not drink wine from them. I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins, afflicting the just and taking bribes. <coughs> the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Some good advice. Verse 18, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as though he went into a house and leaned on his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. So those who say, oh, I just want this world to be over. I just want this life to be over. I just wish God would come again and, and bring heaven about. If we're not living a life consecrated to God, if we have not received his forgiveness, if we have not accepted the Messiah, if we have not accepted the Son, if we have not accepted the removal of sins through his sacrifice in our behalf, if we have not accepted his life in us, if we have not accepted his Holy Spirit, if we have not accepted his power to overcome, for not allowing him to walk uprightly through us, the glorious second coming, instead of being a day of joy, It'll be a fearful day. The Bible calls it in the book of Malachi the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's great to those who have prepared to meet their God. It's terrible for those who have a form of religion but deny the power thereof. That's what he's rebuking here. You're desiring the day of the Lord but you only have a form of religion. Religiosity, you're going to Gilgal and you're going to Bethel and yes, you're offering and you're giving and you're generous and you're doing all these things, but you're not doing it according to the way God wrote it, according to God's plan. And he says, don't get excited about the day of the Lord because it's going to be a day of darkness and not light for you. 
You think you're running away from a lion now? You think you're running away from problems now? Wait till you meet the Lord. Be like running into a bear. You run away from the bear and you go hide in the house. You think you're safe and you put your hand against the wall and there's a snake there in the crevice and he bites you. The only way to get away of the troubles of this world and have peace in our mind and our heart is to surrender our lives to the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of God, Lord God of hosts. Surrender to him. Confess our sins, our individual sins, our selfishness, our disobedience. The descriptions that we read here are lack of care for those in need, our pride and our self-ambition, our lack of love for, for those who don't know God, a lack of love for even those, our friends and others. You know, sometimes we, even our friends, we, we wish that we did better than them or, or we're not rejoicing with them when, when, when happiness happens to them because we're jealous, because we're so insecure. We surrender all of that to, to the Lord. Allow him to take our carnal nature, that's how we're all born, that's natural and normal to how we're born. Allow them to take that, the jealousy, the selfishness, the anger, the resentment, the bitterness, the fears, the fearfulness, and allow them to bury it. Allow the Son, the Messiah, take all of that from us and bury it away with Him. And allow Him to fill us with His mind with his character, with self-control, with righteousness, with right thinking, with love and unselfishness, charity, goodness and joy, and rejoicing, and a love, a true love for other people, true concern for other people, a true burden for their welfare, eternal welfare, as well as welfare here in this world. God's able to transform us, to change us, and recreate us into his divine image. He came on this earth and demonstrated what that image looks like. And day by day, moment by moment, that's what he wants to do in our life. And grow us up into him. And that's the only way to escape the problems of this world. We'll still have problems on this earth, but we'll escape how it affects us. It affects the problems causing us to go into depression. It'll affect, keep us from, from, from having fear uncontrollable. It'll keep us from getting angry and, and bitter and resentful. We'll be able to have peace and calmness through the troubles of this world, through the lion attacks, through the bear attacks, through the serpent bites. They'll be able to sustain us and give us true hope through it all. And uh, looking forward to the Lord's return, to take us, send his angels, and to resurrect the dead, and that we might meet the Lord in the air, and thus ever be with the Lord. 
for the Lord to recreate this earth and create a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. And we can look forward to that and have a part in that and have a claim in that. To have a deed to a mansion that he's providing for us. Thus we can look for his appearing with anxiousness, not as a running away, but as an anxiousness. Actually, in some ways, we should be praying that he delays his coming so that we can reach more people. If we really cared about the people who don't know him, we'd be praying, God, delay your coming and give us more time and more of your spirit and more energy and more resources to reach those that don't know you so that there'll be more people in heaven. That's what God is wanting. That's why he's delaying. But if our thinking is, God just come, so I'm out of my problem, so I'm out of my misery, then who's the center of that prayer? Self. It's still a selfish prayer. And selfishness needs to be buried away. We need to have God first and foremost in our concern. For his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, we only get that kind of mind by him taking away our regular mind, our normal mind, our carnal mind, him giving us new minds, the transformation that he does. Because the wicked are not going to enjoy his coming. He's not going to usher in a world peace. His coming is judge. It'll be a day of darkness, destruction against the wicked. And only those who are prepared to meet their God through repentance sanctification he will take to meet him in the clouds. Verse 20 is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? I hate I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. You offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings yet I will not accept them nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Amazing. Again, he's speaking to a religious people here. Not to those necessarily. He's spoken to both, but for those who are poor and deny. But here now he's speaking to the professed religious. Not only professed, but they're actively doing something. But their heart is not right with Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. So it's not just worship and praise and singing. They were doing that, but rather let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. All religious ceremony and all religious, you can have the Bible even memorized in our mind, but if it hasn't reached our heart, and righteousness is not lived out. If justice is not manifested, it's all for self. And all for selfish gain. It's like Cain and Abel. They both offered sacrifices. Cain's sacrifice was for himself. It wasn't for God. And God didn't accept it. <coughs> How did Abel respond? Uh, Cain respond? He got angry and jealous of his brother. It's again the carnal nature right from the beginning. Jealousy, selfishness, doing 
religion our way and not God's way. There's nothing new under the sun. We've been doing this for 6,000 years. It's the same old thing. It was done with Cain and Abel, rather with Cain. It was done in Amos' time, and it's done today as well. God's looking for the Abels. And the Abels sometimes become martyrs. But that's okay. Abel would be one of those ones resurrected. Better to be an Abel and be hated by your brother than to be a Cain to meet the Lord. So pretty heavy stuff. Sounds pretty horrible. Prepare to meet your God. Now let's relook at those verses again, those two chapters again, and see if it's all doom and gloom. I won't read every word of every verse. What does it mean to prepare to meet your God? How do we prepare to meet our God? What does God want us to do to prepare to meet Him? Because He's coming. He's coming soon. He's told us you can know the signs. You, can, you know that the season is coming by the signs. and There are signs out there that are telling us He's coming. Rapid signs. Signs are happening rapidly. Things are happening so fast. We're seeing it in the calamities of this world. We're seeing it in the gospel spreading. We're seeing it in, 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 in the way powers are positioning themselves. Religious and political powers. seeing of the merging of a falseness with some truth on a rapid pace. These things have gone on for a long time, but they're rapidly taking to new levels. Denial of God, denial of Creator, and yet continuing religiosity. Denial of God's Word, taking to new heights and new levels that we couldn't even imagine just a few years ago. How do we prepare to meet our God? Because he's coming. And we need to be ready. Well, chapter 4, verse 1, it started by saying, hear this word. And so the first thing we can do to prepare to meet our God is to hear his word. In his love and his graciousness to these cows of Bashan that he talks about, to these people he's rebuking, he starts by saying, hear me. I've come to talk to you. He's come to give a message to us. That is God's grace. That is God's love. He could have just wrote them off, not said anything. If he didn't think there was anything worth redeeming there, if he didn't think there was anything worth helping in Amos' time, he wouldn't have sent Amos and he wouldn't have said, hear this word. Came a point in the trials that Yeshua was going through where he didn't open his mouth anymore. It was, he knew those that he was talking to at that point had shut their heart and closed it and it was not going to open no matter what he said. But here at this point and here tonight, God is saying, hear this word. Thus God believes that there is still hope. There was still hope then and still today, there is still hope. He is sending his word. So we need to hear his word. We need to open his word. And hear it as God speaking to us, not again just for memorization, not again to just try and use against someone else, or just to try and prove some point, but to hear the word of God so that God can speak to us, so that God can communicate with us, so that God can commune with us. 
on a personal level that God can talk to us. And we can enter into divine communion with him. And he can show us his way that we can walk therein. Hear this word to prepare to meet me. He wants to come as a bride, as a groom for his bride. He wants us to be prepared. He wants to come in love. He wants to come to love us, to embrace us, to minister to us, and to help us, and to take us to where he is. So he says, hear me. Hear my call. Verse 8, return to me, says the Lord. To Shuva, repentance, he gives us an opportunity to turn back to him. Regardless of the mistakes that we've made, he invites us to return to him. What a loving God. What a gracious God. Return to him. And he's able to offer that. He's able to offer that return because he has the power to change us. He doesn't want us to just return and then he'll embrace us and allow us to continue in our selfishness and our carnalness. No, he says, return and let me change you and transform you. He's not going to take carnal nature. If he kicked us out of the Garden of Eden for one sin, he's not going to allow us into heaven with one sin on our record or in our character, in our desires. But he invites us to return so he can clean us. So he can transform us. What a loving God. He wouldn't ask him to return if there was no hope. If he knew there was no hope for us, he wouldn't invite us to come to him. And so he invites us to return. And so step number two, hear his voice calling you and then turn your eyes upon him. Turn towards him. As the flower turns towards the sun, turn your eyes to him. Behold him. So he says, hear he says, return, and he says, look. Look at me. Behold me. The one who formed the mountains. The one who created the winds. Behold him who created you, who knew about you in your mother's womb and even before that, before the foundation of the earth. Who knew you and knew the plans that he has for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Behold him in all of his goodness and glory. Look on the true God, the true face of God. The true picture of the truly loving, balanced, loving, and yet judging God. <coughs> How can we know what he looks like? Read his word. The entire word. All the scriptures. Chapter 5, verse 4. Seek me and live says the Lord. So we prepare to meet him by seeking him, turning to him, listening to him, looking at him, and seeking him. Diligently looking for him in everything and in everywhere, in every aspect of creation, in everything that surrounds us. Look for him. Seek him through the trials, through the struggles. <coughs> When you're going through a briar patch, look for the rose. Look for the berries. Sometimes we have to seek him out in this dark, 
dingy earth, but seek for him and live, says the Lord. Seek for him. Look for him in his word. Again, we read two chapters easily, quickly reading through it. Where is God in that? Nothing but condemnation. But there's a lot there too. We need to seek that out as well. Not to ignore the warnings, but also to seek out the hope as well. And to see both. And sometimes it takes seeking, looking, not just a casual glance, but digging into God's word. Seeking him out when we're struggling and going through difficulties. Sometimes we need to struggle against sin, temptation. Sometimes it's a struggle to get down and pray. Sometimes it's a struggle to read God's word. Sometimes it's a struggle to, to find hope. Sometimes we have to struggle against our carnal nature. But we do that through prayer. God, give me the power to pray. Give me the desire to pray. Give me the desire to read your word. Take away this carnal nature. Take away this nature that's drawing me back. Give me the power to turn to you. Give me the power to seek you. Give me the desire to look on you. Sometimes it takes a seeking. Don't hate the one who rebukes, the one who speaks uprightly. Rebukes are good from one who speaks uprightly. We don't have to listen to every garbage that someone says condemning us. But to those that speak uprightly, to those that speak truth, we shouldn't resist the rebuke of God's word. We shouldn't resist the rebuke of God's truth. But to embrace it. Thank you for revealing that to me. Thank you for telling me. Thank you for bringing that to my mind. Thank you, God, for convicting me. Thank you for allowing that calamity to happen that reveals to me how how I was loving my house or loving my car or loving this more than you. Thank you for trying to straighten me out. Thank you for getting my attention again. Don't hate God's rebukes. But embrace them. Blessings or curses, thank the Lord through them all. And keep silent at certain times. We don't always have to be talking. Even in prayer. Part of prayer is being quiet. Part of prayer is listening to God speak back to us. It should be a two-way conversation. Speaking and listening. And sometimes it's being quiet to those who are like Yeshua again. When those who are rejecting, don't turn your don't put your pearls before the swine. Sometimes it's time to just dust our feet and to move on. We don't have to fight against everything all the time. It's a time to keep silent. There's a time to speak. There's a time to walk uprightly and be the one who rebukes. And there's a time to be quiet. Preparing to meet our God. Seek good and not evil. We seek God and we seek good and not evil. Seek what is good. Think about what we've watched this past week. Think about what we've listened to this past week. 
Have we been seeking those things that are good or those things that are evil? What have we been reading this week? What have we been looking at? Have we been seeking those things that are good, that are just, that are right, that are true, that are of good report? <coughs> or have we wanted, been wanting to hear all the evil, all the gossip, all the negative? Do we focus on the pessimism of what can't be done and what we think can't be done? Or do we choose on looking on the possibilities of what is good and what God can do? God can change our thinking so we can seek good and not evil. Hate evil, in fact. Love good. Not only seek it, but love it. Not only don't seek good, evil, but hate evil. And establish justice. Establish what is right, what is just, what is good in this world, in your life, in your circle of influence, preparing to meet our God. He's given us many steps of things that we can participate in, in preparing to meet him and to hasten his coming. And let justice run down like water. Let it happen. As we come to God and seek him and all these other things we read, then God's spirit will come through and justice will run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. God's spirit will empower us if we're not enjoying doing righteousness, if it's a burden to keep God's law, then it's the carnal nature that's trying to keep it. The carnal nature hates keeping God's law. So if, it's, if you hate returning tithes and offering to God, if you, you hate serving Him, you, you know, but you're doing it because you want to meet Him, because you believe it, if it's a drudgery, then that means we're doing it in our own strength. But when God's Spirit comes in, when we surrender ourselves, when we give our lives to Him on a daily basis, we allow God to take on a daily basis, allow us to die daily, allow Him to take our nature and bury it with Yeshua, and He fills us with His Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit comes in like a flood, and His Holy Spirit will give us a love with a mind that God has, like God's mind, that is always giving, that's always caring, that's always loving, and, and justice will run out like water. And righteousness is like a mighty stream. And so when we're finding it difficult to walk with God, it just shows that we haven't fully repented yet, that we haven't fully surrendered yet. And we're still trying to do it legalistically instead of through righteousness, instead of through God's righteousness, instead of through His robe coming upon us. Because when His robe comes upon us, when His Spirit comes in us, it just flows like water. It just pours out like a stream like a mighty stream. It's all the difference in the world. To those around us, they might not notice the difference. The amount might be the same, the time might be the same, the actions might be the same. But inwardly, we'll notice the difference because it won't be a drudgery, it won't be difficult. It'll become a joy. Psalmist David said, I delight to do your will, O oh my God, because your law is within my heart not outwardly being carried on our shoulders. It's within our heart. That's we delight to do it. Like a mighty stream. So again, how do we prepare to meet our God? We hear his word. We read his word. We return to him. We turn to him in repentance, in confession. We behold him. The one who created all things and who loves us, we behold him in his love. 
we seek Him and we continually seek Him and seek Him more and more. And He gives us life and life more abundantly. And we receive the rebukes and we, re we receive the corrections. And we're thankful for them. And we grow because of them. Thus our walk continually grows and grows. We learn when to speak and when to keep silent. And we're constantly seeking good and we're resisting the devil and resisting evil. Even hating it and loving good and embracing good and working to help establish what is just and what is right. For the benefit of others, for God's cause. We're filled with his spirit and righteousness is coming out like a mighty stream and justice like a flow of water. Thus, when, we come, when he returns, we have prepared to meet him. And he will bring us up to him. And we will say, behold, this is our God. Lo, we have waited for him. Amen. He's waiting for a bride that is prepared to meet the groom. when we are prepared and when we are busy preparing others when everyone has had the opportunity then he will come as we pray together at whatever stage of preparing to meet him wherever we're at whether we're just needing to hear his word whether we're needing to repent of something and turn from it whether we need to behold him as our loving God and our creator whether you need to read God's word and seek him more, seek him in the good and the evil, troubles and the blessings, whether there's some evil in your heart or in your life that you're participating in and God needs to give you a hatred for it, that you just get rid of that stuff and just throw that stuff away and then you run from it like Joseph from Potiphar's wife or whatever it is in your life. God gives you a hatred for that stuff. Whatever addiction it is or Whatever it is in your life, whatever you're viewing or reading or seeing or listening to. Maybe there's something you need to seek after, some good you need to be seeking after. Seeking the hope, seeking the goodness. Trusting and having faith. Maybe there's some area of justice God's calling you to make right. Calling you to speak somewhere or do something. Or whether you've been trying to keep God's laws and obey Him and follow Him in your own strength. And you want to give up that burden and allow Him to fill you with His Spirit to do it righteously. Again, whatever area applies to you, as we pray together, let us all join together, preparing to meet our God and preparing others to meet Him. As we pray together. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe. We are thankful for your great love for us and your great love and mercy in sending Amos and sending the prophets. Even in our times of rebellion, even in our times of resisting you, even in our times of turning from you. Thank you for your mercy that you've come to us and you've called us to hear you. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for seeking us out. Thank you for beholding us. Thank you for loving us. 
Lord, turn us to you. Return us to you. Grab a hold of us. Take our carnal nature, every aspect of it, rebuke some more of it, and strip it away from us. And place it upon your side. Thank you, Yeshua, for receiving it. Thank you for dying for it. Thank you for removing it from us. Fill us with your Ruach. Fill us with your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. And empower us to walk uprightly. To walk in righteousness. To walk in justice. And to do justly. To love mercy. Give us a love and burden for other people. And use us in sharing your love with them. In Yeshua's holy name.